I'll be reading from the King James Version. This morning we're going to be reading Luke, the 23rd chapter, uh, 40, 43 through 47. No, through 46. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was dark darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You may be seen. I'm very grateful to be a part of a congregation that loves to sing. And we've had some beautiful singing today, which is typical of our worship service at Broadway. We've sung about God's wonderful grace. We've sung about our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, and our need for Him. And it's certainly been uplifting to be able to be a part of this wonderful period of worship where you and I have gotten together to praise God. I want to thank you for being with us today. For the visitors that we have, we're delighted to have you. I encourage you to come back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be studying about prayer tonight, another one of our Sunday night seminars. You're always cordially invited and encouraged to come and be with us whenever you have the opportunity. If you are visiting, I hope you'll stay long enough for us to become better acquainted. Thank you for being with us today and being a part of our worship. Isn't that a powerful passage of Scripture? As centurion in verse 47, Luke 23, 47. Now when the centurion saw that he had taken place, uh, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Some of our older translations have, Certainly this was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He was an innocent man. Jesus Christ is the most important person in this world. And should be that way for every one of us. There's not a more important one than Jesus. And we should not allow anything to come ahead of our love and devotion to Jesus Christ. You know, when you go to the jewelry store to pick out that uh, special ring for that special person, I remember exactly what the jeweler did. In fact, this person was pretty smart and pretty shrewd. He took a black piece of felt and laid it out on the countertop. Then he took this diamond ring out and laid it out there on that felt. And when he did that, I could see how clear that glass was, that diamond was. Contrasting that diamond with the black felt, I could see just how beautiful the matter was, how beautiful the ring was. When you contrast the life of Christ with this world, we can see how beautiful and wonderful Jesus really was and is. 
and how that we should be contrasting our life with regard to this world. When you contrast the two, the life of Jesus and the world in which he lived at the time and the world in which we live at our time, we ought to be able to say certainly this was a righteous man. In fact, he's not the only person to say that. Mrs. Pilate came along and she said, You know, I've had a lot that I've suffered in a dream over this man. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Pilate comes along, Matthew chapter 27, he takes a basin of water, washes his hands. A symbolic effort to try to disclaim any obligation and responsibility for the outcome of the proceedings. He washes his hands in this basin of water and he says, I'm innocent of the blood of this righteous man. And here at the foot of the cross, an unnamed centurion looks at the events which took place. The earth quaking, the tombs run asunder, uh, the rocks splitting. And he realizes the miraculous import of all these particular events that transpire at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus. And he says, certainly this was a righteous man. Three different people at three different times who had no loyalty to Christ whatsoever, who were not followers of Christ at all, perhaps had never even seen a miracle of Jesus, perhaps had never even heard of one of the great miracles which Jesus had given or parables which Jesus had taught. But yet they say, this is a righteous man. You see, when you put a diamond up against a black piece of felt, you can see how beautiful and bright that stone is. And when you look at the life of Christ and you put it up against the ugliness of this world, you can see this is a righteous man. This is what it's all about. And that's why he's the most important person in the world and should be the most important person in my life. I should be a righteous man. I should so learn to live that others would be able to say, there's a righteous man. There's a man living the kind of life he ought to be living. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us the just or the righteous shall live by faith. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effectual fervent of a righteous man avails much. The effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5 and 16. 1 John 3 and verse 7. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. You see, I have a responsibility to be a righteous man, a righteous person. To so live my life in accordance with the will of God that others will be able to see there goes a righteous man. There goes a man who's living the kind of life that God has said he should live. You'll remember what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now that's the Bible on it. Matthew chapter 5 and the verses verse 16. So I ought to thank Pilate's wife. And I ought to thank Pilate himself. And I ought to thank this unnamed centurion for what they said about Jesus Christ. And that ought to spur me on to learn more about what it means to be a righteous man. To follow in the steps of Christ. And to look at what righteousness means. Well, I wanted to do that. When I thought about these matters, I thought I'll look up in the pages of the Bible. The New Testament, how many times Jesus is described as a righteous man. And he's described five times subsequent to the cross. 
that he's a righteous man. Two times he's described as a righteous man, and that conveys the idea of him being an humble, obedient servant of God. Two times he's described as a righteous man, and it's in the context of him being a helpful servant of man. And then there's a fifth time that he's called a righteous man, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. Not presently. You're going to have to stay with me and listen carefully and follow along with me from the pages of the Bible and we'll learn the fifth time how Jesus is called a righteous man and how that applies to me. The first two times that Jesus is described as a righteous man is found in Acts chapter 3. And here, as I said, it's in the context of him being an humble, obedient servant of God. Now, this is an amazing passage. Acts chapter 3, it's subsequent to the day of Pentecost. And here Peter and, their, them, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And they come across a lame man, the third chapter of the book of Acts. And the lame man's begging for alms. And you know the story well, how that he's begging for alms. And Peter says, now look at me. He says, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold. But what I have, I'm going to give you. Verse 6. And he took the man by the right hand, verse 7, and told him to rise up. And immediately his ankles were healed, his feet were healed. He got up and he began to walk. And he did more than walk. And I love this part of the story. Acts chapter 3 and verse 8. And leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It was an amazing thing, wasn't it? The miracle. He's not only walking, he's leaping and praising God out of a heart of thankfulness and joy. And it was quite a spectacle because everyone eyes began to look over there at him and they recognized the man for what he was. This was the guy that was lame and he begged for alms. We know him. We see him day in and day out at the temple. He's always at the porch. He's always begging for help. But now look at him and they're amazed at the matter and Peter uses the incident to launch into this second great sermon whereby he's talking about this great miracle was performed by the power of God and Jesus Christ. And he works this into his sermon in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. The holy and the righteous one. Acts 3, 13 through 15. Not only did Pilate's wife, not only did Pilate, not only did the unnamed centurion describe Jesus as being righteous, but here Peter in his sermon says he was an humble, obedient servant. He was the holy and the righteous one, and you led him to be destroyed for two reasons. 17 and 18. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. They didn't know what they were doing. You know, I don't know. It kind of really bothers me. And I have to exert a lot of patience, and I try not to be this way. It really bothers me to talk to people 
that act like they know what they're doing and you can tell they don't know what they're doing. To talk to people and they talk like they know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. And here you had Jews along with the rulers of the Jews who acted like they knew what they were doing, but they were doing it out of ignorance. Jesus died because of the ignorance of the people and the ignorance of the people. Rulers, though they thought they knew what they're doing, they crucified the holy and righteous one. But not only due to ignorance, but if you'll notice closely in verse 18, but what God, be, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Christ died because of obedience. You see, he died because of the ignorance of the people, but he also died because of his willingness and his obedience in fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. God had prophesied these particular matters would transpire and take place, and Christ was obedient to that matter, and he died. He died for two reasons. He died due to the ignorance of the people, but he died due to his own obedience to the fulfilled will of God, to fulfill the will of God as God's divine purpose and plan to save man from sin. That's why Jesus died. And they crucified who? The righteous one. Because he was obedient. And he was humble and he was faithful. This passage comes up again in, uh, this idea comes up again, this righteous one in Acts chapter 7. And it's in the concluding moments of Stephen's sermon. And you and I have studied that sermon before. And it's a great lesson that comes from the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. And notice in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. And he's chastising his Jewish listeners because they're rejecting the gospel. And Stephen's leading them along through the scriptures and helping them understand God unfolding his divine will for mankind. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Verse 52, you persecuted the servants of God from the very beginning, even the great prophets of God. And one's mind goes back to Isaiah and Jeremiah. Oh, a tender-hearted prophet and one who loved his people. But how they tormented and how they persecuted this great prophet of God. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. You killed the righteous one, the humble, obedient servant of God. You killed him. You destroyed him. Jesus is described in this particular matter as the obedient servant of God, and you killed him. He specifically calls him the righteous one. When I think of being humble and obedient, I naturally think of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and verse 9. And you may want to mark this passage in your Bible because it does speak so much to the heart of Christ and the kind of heart that we should emulate in following the life of Christ. Although he was a son, Hebrews 5 and 8, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. To all who obey him. I have to confess it's one of my favorite verses. Hebrews 5 verse 8 and 9. It is a verse which talks about the obedience of the Son of God. And even though he was a son, he still became a student. And he was a student of the University of Hard Knocks as he learned through life. And he learned the will of God through the things which he suffered. And time simply doesn't give us the opportunity to talk about the suffering of Jesus Christ. 
and all that he went through. Oh, they, he suffered. He suffered with regard to his person. They assaulted him. They beat him with a whip, special kind of whip indigenous to the day and the time. They planted a crown of thorns and put it upon his brow. They took a hyssop reed and beat him over the head with it. They slapped him in the face. They spit at him. They assaulted his person to say nothing of the three spikes and the spear that played an important part with regard to the crucifixion of the Lord. But if that were not enough, they, they assaulted his character. They not only assaulted him as a physical person, but they assaulted his character. He's hanging on the cross, suffering agonizingly, and they said, himself, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. If you're really the Son of God, bring yourself down from the cross. Let God deliver him. He's really the Son of God. Let him deliver himself from this. He said he could do it for others. He can't do it. They're assaulting his character. They're assaulting his personhood. And they're trying to say that he's not what he claimed to be. And so through all of this which he learned and he suffered, he's catapulted from this world into the next by means of the most cruel means imaginable. Crucifixion. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And let me tell you something. My good friends, that's obedience. Do I want to go through that? Do I want to face that? No, I don't. But God said, do it. And so I will do it. You know why? Because that's obedience. When I learn about Jesus being the righteous one, I learn about Jesus and his humility and his obedience. And I learn about the importance of me being a righteous person, living the right kind of life before God and before others. And one of the things that I'm going to have to learn is I will have to learn this element of humility and I will have to learn this element of obedience. And when Jesus says, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins, John 8 and 24, then I must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that I confess my, with my mouth what lies in my heart that Jesus is God's Son, because that's obedience. The righteous one was an obedient one. And for me to be righteous, I must emulate that obedience. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, through the mouth of an inspired apostle, to repent and to be baptized for the remission of sins. That's, so, that's being obedient. And when I hear that message from the Word of God, I have the desire to be like the Son of God and to be righteous like Him and as best I can. And, and in doing so, I must emulate the life of obedience to live like Jesus. I'm going to have to repent of my sins. I'm going to have to confess my faith in Him. I'm going to have to be baptized in water for the remission of my sins. Because that's what God told me to do. And I want to be an obedient person. I'm not going to try to argue around it or try to find some kind of spiritual loophole whereby I can say, no, I don't necessarily have to do that. I want to obey. Jesus is counted as being righteous. He suffered and obeyed. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. 
And I must learn to obey humbly the will of God. And when God tells me to do something, then I do it. If I'm going to be a righteous person. Live like Jesus wants me to live. 1 Timothy 1 and 3, a passage we studied today. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Then notice what he says down here in verse 5. The aim of our chart is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I'm in 1 Timothy 1. I read 3 and I read, I read verse 5. I learned about sound doctrine in verse 3. And I learned about the aim of it in verse 5. Love, to love God and to love God's Word and be faithful to the Word of God. You know, this obedience thing carries over not only my personal life, carries over in the matter of my worship to God, doesn't it? John chapter 4 and 24. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And isn't that a great passage? I do this because I want to be obedient. I want to be a righteous person. And to live like Jesus and to be counted as being righteous. Jesus was an humble, obedient servant. And I'm going to be an humble, obedient servant. Even when it comes to the matter of my worship. And I don't do this in worship. And I don't add that in worship. Because Jesus didn't add that in worship. And the apostles didn't teach that with regard to my worship. And I'm not going to walk down that path. Because it's a matter of my obedience to the will of God. I'm going to be a righteous person. I'm going to be an humble person. And I'm going to follow the will of God in my personal life. And I'm going to worship God as He has given the pattern in the pages of the New Testament. Because I want to be an humble and obedient servant of God. I want to be a righteous person as Jesus taught me to be. And as Jesus led the example for me to be. I want to be righteous. He was righteous. And everything I read about Him over and over again. The righteous one. The holy one. Why? He was humble and obedient. For me to consider myself that, I'm going to have to be an humble, obedient person to the will of God. Well, I said there were two verses that helped us in this matter. And it tells us that Jesus was a helpful servant of man. 1 Peter chapter 3, and isn't this a great verse, verse 18? The context here is his help for me. The other two verses that we just briefly studied had to do with his obedience to the will of God. But now, these passages have to do with the matter of his helping me. And I'm in 1 Peter 3, and the verse is verse 18 as you see it before you. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Here Jesus is described as being righteous. But he suffered being righteous for whom? For the unrighteous. He suffered for me. And for that reason, I have the opportunity of being able to come to God. Let's skip back up into this context a little bit which will help us understand it better. Go back a chapter in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 21. Let's not miss this point. For there he says, For to this you have been called, 
Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. That's 1 Peter 2 and 21. And then I had this discussion about, look how Jesus has suffered for us. And all that He has been able to do to bring us to Christ, to bring us to God. What an example He's given for me to live the righteous life. Isn't that a great verse? 1 Peter 3.18, but I told you there were two that talk about this helpful servant, Jesus Christ the righteous. In 1 John chapter 2, here's a passage that is filled with great truth, as they all are. And it says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, this word righteous is used again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, my admonition to you is that you do not sin. And my writing here to you, John writes to them, is to keep you from sinning. But if you do, you have an advocate. Advocate is the one who stands before the judge and pleads your case. We have an advocate. You see, he's a helpful servant to me. You know what Jesus does now? Subsequent to his cross, he goes back to the throne of God and serves as an advocate for me. He's helping me. He's a servant of man. And without Jesus Christ, none of us would have hope for obtaining eternal life. But what kind of advocate do we have? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the perfect one, the righteous one, the one who went about doing good for all mankind, the servant of man, the obedient servant of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Isn't this a great verse, Acts chapter 10? Helps me understand this point that Peter's making. In this particular passage, he went about doing good. And if you don't have this passage marked in your Bible, I, I encourage you to do so. As he tells us in about, uh, oh, I guess it's about verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Acts 10 and 38. He's a servant of man. He went about doing good. You know what that means? That means when that poor individual was demon possessed. Jesus went up to that person. And cast the demons out of that man. He helped him. No one else could do it. He helped those who were demon possessed. And you know what that means? That means people who were scarfed up into lives of sin. He taught them. And he explained to them what it was like to be a faithful child of God. And how they needed to repent of sin. And how that they could get forgiveness for their sins. And become the servant of God as God intended for them to be. He's the servant of man, you see. He's helping people see that. You know what that means? Acts chapter 10 and 38, he went about doing good. He went about, here's a person who's filled with sadness and guilt. Perhaps his life is filled with fear. Perhaps his life is filled with guilt. 
because of the suffering, because of the sin which he committed in his life, or the sin which she had committed in his life. And Jesus cared for that person enough to stop and talk to that person. And sometimes Jesus talks to an entire crowd, and sometimes Jesus talks just to one single person, because he walks up to that person and knows what that person needs. And that person's heart is filled with guilt and burdened down because of sin. And Jesus cares enough for that person to stop and talk to them and how they can get the guilt out of their life. I need to remember my need to help other people because Jesus was a helpful servant of man and he was righteous for me to be righteous and to follow in his steps. I'm going to have to remember There's a person right out there that needs to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Aided with the Bible, I know what to do to help that person, to teach them, to explain to them, there's a better life that you can live. It is a life based on God and God's Word. It is a life of faith. Whereby being obedient in faith, one can live in the grace of God and enjoy forgiveness of sin and live a better life here. To repent of sin and to be confessing the name of Christ and be baptized in the name of Jesus by the authority of Christ. Every sin is forgiven. Wouldn't that be wonderful for you to have? And it's free. You, out of your free will, need to obey that message of the gospel. And receive forgiveness. That's the best thing I can give you. I do not know how many times people have come by. Asking for this. Or asking for that. And some of them are deserving. They need the help. And we help them as best we possibly can. But the best thing I can give you. Not silver and gold. Acts chapter 3. But the gospel of Christ. That will help you. Live the right kind of life here. And give you eternal life in the life to come. Based on the sacrifice of Christ. Based on the grace of God. Based on your obedient faith. That's the best thing in the world I can do for you. Jesus went about helping people. And sometimes he fed them. And sometimes he gave them water to drink. I remember the case of the woman at the well. She gave Jesus water to drink. And even with that instance. He's telling her about who he was. As the Messiah. And the importance of following the will of God. What a discussion that was in John chapter 4. Jesus was kind and considerate and caring toward his, helpful, toward his fellow man as a helper, helpful servant of man. Not only was he an humble, obedient servant of God, but he was also a helpful servant of man. And the Bible in these contexts are saying, he's the righteous one. The word the Bible uses to describe that kind of life and behavior is righteous. But I said there were five times that this word righteous is used with regard to Jesus subsequent to the cross. Two times with regard to being an humble, obedient servant of God, which I must be. Two times with regard to the helpful servant of man, which I too must try to emulate as best I possibly can. But there's another occasion in which Jesus is described as being righteous. That's in Acts 22 and 14. Now he's going to be my judge. 
In Acts 22 and verse 14, I'd like to read this for you, and then you and I will have some means of discussion and application with regard to that matter as we have just a brief moment to do that. There in this instance, you see Ananias, a devout man, verse 12. It's a commentary, a discussion, a narrative about the life of Saul of Tarsus and him becoming a Christian, how he's converted to Christ. A devout man, Ananias, was according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. You remember Saul was a blind man on the Damascus road. There he went on into Damascus being led by the hand. Went to the house of one of the brethren there, Ananias. The Lord had told Ananias, go to the street named Straight. There Saul of Tarsus is praying. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him, Paul says as he recounts the incident in Acts chapter 22. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. You've seen the righteous one, Saul. You've seen the resurrected Christ. That's the fifth time that Jesus is described as being righteous. And it comes in the context of an individual who was a sinner. And there in turn, he saw Christ, and he would subsequently change his life. As he would tell him, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What a wonderful verse, verse 16 is, that tells us that we're to be immersed in water. And at that point, we're immersed in water. We come into the contact with the blood of Christ and the benefits of the blood of Christ. And it's that blood that washes away our sins and serves as the atonement for our sins. What a great verse Acts 22 and verse 16 is for you and me today, whereby I need... To be baptized, immersed in water. I need to receive the forgiveness of sin because one day I'm going to see the righteous one. Now Saul saw the righteous one. And that revelation of Jesus to Saul of Tarsus, he goes on in and hears the word of truth and what he needed to do by Ananias and he obeys it. And receives forgiveness of sin. But one day I'm going to see the righteous one. And he's going to be my judge. And he's going to assess my life based on the word of God. And he's going to look at my life and he's going to see whether I have been righteous or not. Whether I have been an humble, obedient servant of God. And he's going to look at my life and he's going to say, have you been obedient? He's going to open up that divine will, the word of God. And evaluate my life up against God's Word. and He's going to know whether I've been an humble, obedient servant or not. Then He's going to look at my life and He's going to evaluate that and He's going to see whether I have been a kind of servant to mankind and help others as I ought. I'm going to see Him. I'm going to see the righteous judge. And the judge will say one of two things. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This kingdom which God had in mind before the world ever began. You are a part of it. You receive this inheritance. 
which is yours because of God's wonderful grace. Or, he will look at and evaluate my life and he will see, this is not a righteous person. This person was not an humble, obedient servant of the will of God. This person was not a servant to mankind at all. And so, in that instance, he will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, which will it be? The answer to that question depends upon the kind of life I will live, the kind of person I choose to be. Do I choose to emulate the life of Christ as I should? Or I live the kind of life that I want to live? You know what a jeweler will do? A jeweler will take out a black felt piece of cloth. He'll put that diamond on that black felt, and it looks beautiful up against that black felt. And you can see some of its facets, and you can see some of its angles, and you can see what a beautiful ring and piece of jewelry that is. And when you put your life up against the ugliness and the blackness of this old sin-saturated world, what will one see? Will you blend right in with the world? Or will you stand out like a diamond on a piece of black felt being the righteous individual you're capable of becoming because you were obedient to the will of God and a servant to mankind, a righteous person? Which will it be today? What will the outcome be? You can decide that. Whether you will obey God's word and become a faithful child of God and live for him every day or if you continue to resist and say no to him and no to eternity. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.